we try the best we can to accommodate any situation that we possibly can because that's why we do this. You know, we love what we do. We love the animals that we care for and the birds that we care for and such. And we will guide you to the best of our ability to help you uh, get through that situation. This is Defender Radio. Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bears. What a week. To start, I need to thank two new supporters on the Defender Radio Patreon, Sarah and Alexander. By supporting the show for as little as $1 per month, patrons help keep the show going, get access to exclusive blogs, photos, and bloopers, as well as contests, like the t-shirt giveaway won by patron Sarah this week. I've been in contact with Sarah, and a brand new Defender Radio tee is on its way to her. To support the show with Patreon for as little as $1 per month and help us reach goals like getting transcripts for the deaf and hard of hearing, ebooks, and equipment upkeep, just visit patreon.com slash defenderradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash defenderradio. This week we're having another contest. All you have to do is sign up to receive Defender Radio e-newsletter updates, sent out weekly at thefurbears.com updates. Opt in for the regular newsletter as well as the Defender Radio update, and all Canadian residents will be entered into an automatic draw for a Defender Radio shirt. If you already get these updates, you don't need to do anything, you'll be entered. More details can be found on this week's show notes at thefurbears.com. Also new this week is an additional episode with a different format. The Defender Radio News Brief, released on iTunes as a bonus episode and everywhere else as a standard episode, is a more traditional radio interview, edited down to its core parts for quick and easy listening. I'm trying this new format, in addition to the regular in-depth interviews you're used to, to make it easier for some listeners to enjoy the content. I'd love to hear what you think. Shoot me a note at michael at thefurbears.com or find me on Facebook and Twitter at Defender Radio. I love raccoons. They're smart little problem solvers who have learned to adapt into a landscape that's difficult to navigate for non-human animals, and they've taken up an essential role in many ecosystems. But the furry bandit's cuteness isn't enough to prevent media from maligning them, social media posts blaming them for human-centric problems, and keeping them safe when conflict does occur. That said, their cuteness can be too much. Some advocates and animal lovers may go too far in trying to help raccoons, which creates new issues, from generating future conflict to disease transmission. To sort it all out and understand what raccoons are up to this time of year, as well as address a few issues that have come up in the news like rabies, I connected with Kara Contardi of Urban Wildlife Care in Grimsby, Ontario. What are raccoons up to this time of year in our neck of the woods? Well, this is breeding time. So they start breeding between January and, and even June. So they're, they're starting to get into dens and they're, they're getting ready to have babies, Michael. And is that what the horror movie sounds I am hearing throughout the city of Hamilton are at two in the morning? Uh, oh, more than likely. More than likely. Yes, this is breeding season for squirrels, too. This is breeding season for, for coyotes. This is breeding season, for sure. So, you know, it's when it comes to rehabilitators, it, it, we always like to see who gets to draw first blood and in, in that who gets the first 
litter of babies, you know? <laughs> so um, usually baby raccoons, I think the earliest I've had was March 10th, I'm going to say, um, that I had baby raccoons come in. And they were just, you know, a couple weeks old, not even. What did, what's the gestation period for them? The gestation is about 63 days. So like a, a, a female raccoon, sugar industrious at about 10 months of age. And um, if, if she doesn't get pregnant, then that's when you get late season babies because she'll go into estrus um, again four months later and then you'll get those late season babies. So a lot of people, like normally we get all babies in March and we'll start getting them in April, you know, too. And, and then sometimes we'll get baby raccoons even in June, you know, so and that's where the late season babies come in. And they can have up to, you know, one to seven kits, and, uh, but usually the average is four. Now, as we're hearing this, um, is it something that we should be concerned about? Because it is a very alarming sound to hear raccoons interacting in this way. And what I imagine is at times raccoons and very confused cats interacting in this way. When they're screeching and hollering at each other, do we as like homeowners need to be worried for them or about them? No, absolutely not. You know, they're raccoons, any wild animal. I mean, they're incredibly intelligent um, beings. And that's just how they interact. That's just, just your way of doing things. You know, they're not trying to kill each other. That's just their uh, passionate way of, of interacting, you know, this time of year. Passionate, is it? <laughs> Very scientific. Of but, you know, they're, they're not trying to kill each other, that's for sure. You know, and typically, you know, raccoons really aren't all that territorial. You know, they, they pretty much, you know, develop their own boundaries amongst each other. So, but they're, they're really not typically territorial animals. So they tend to get along. Lately, we've been hearing a lot of talk about rabies in Toronto, um, mm -hmm. particularly one case. And I know you, you shared the video that we produced on this, um, which was a little bit of fun. The original story, for those who are unfamiliar with it, that was published by a few news agencies, was that a man was followed and attacked by a rabid raccoon. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that the raccoon may have distemper, and uh, which is also a, a serious disease, but is not rabies, mm -hmm. and may or may not have even touched the man or followed him at all. So there's, there's a lot of hoopla over what is probably going to amount to very little, but when we hear this talk about rabies in Toronto, and we'll talk about rabies around here after, is this something that ends up having raccoons be maligned by the community, that this fear of rabies? You know, it's it's always about the media and it's always about uh, reporting and being accountable for being a reporter. And the fact that that even made the news really, um, I'm trying to watch my language here, upset me. <laughs> Because, I know that was very difficult for you to for you to say so simply. So hard, yeah, you know. <laughs> but you know, um, yeah. If I ever had a reality TV show, it just wouldn't be happening. I know, beep, 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 especially in, you know when we're really busy. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, it's all about proper reporting. It's all about documentation. It's all about you know making sure that what you're saying is is the absolute truth, and that the guy who's even giving you the story knows what the heck he's talking about. You know, um, we're dealing with a situation with a possum. You know, um, that, you know, when, when you're saying that an animal's attacking you, what do you mean by that? You know, what did you do? So it is breeding season. Was it possible that it was a female that you interrupted? Like, what was the situation? What was the backstory on it? Was this something that a wildlife removal company came down, extracted her from the roof? Or do you know what I mean? Like, what's, yeah. what's the whole story to this? And this is what you're not getting. And so to put the big R word out there, 
especially when it has to do with Toronto. And as far as I'm concerned, I, I really don't think there's been a documented case of rabies in Toronto yet. Um, so if you're putting our word out there when it comes to Toronto, yeah, you know what? That's 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 crap. You know, if if it's not the truth, you're fear mongering. You know, and let's talk about Toronto. I mean, there's one raccoon for every 200 people there. You right? I mean, Toronto is known as the city of raccoons. And with all the different documentaries that have been, been done, done about Toronto and the raccoons, I mean, these people are learning how to coexist peacefully with the raccoons and how to deal with their situations. They've even gone as far as to develop uh, organic bins that are, you know, raccoon-proof. They actually put the money into that because they realize that they have to live amongst these creatures and coexist uh, amongst them because they have just as much right to be there as we do, you know. So the fact that the city even went that far to do it, now, now you're, you're spewing out this verbal diarrhea. Um, about, you know, this raccoon attack, chasing somebody and attacking him. And then I think the story was what? It didn't even, it bit his shoe or something, went after his shoe. I mean, why? Because he was kicking it? Like, who knows, right? It's just, it's, it's horrible. Because like, like I said, as far as I know, there hasn't been any documented cases of rabies in Toronto yet. Yeah, I, that's, that's the same information that I came across, is that it hasn't gone there. Uh, but speaking of rabies, down in the range that you and I are in, in the southern Ontario, Niagara, Hamilton area, there is rabies. There has been something of an outbreak over the last few years, and I, I think the cases are plateauing now. I hope so. I hope so, yeah. How do we manage it safely and humanely? Because uh, I know there's one attitude of just get rid of the raccoons, which we know doesn't really work in the long term. But I also know there is a reasonable level of, I don't want to say fear necessarily, because it's it's very fact-based. There's a lot of caution and trepidation because of this. And it's not just raccoons. There are also, uh, you know, bats can carry rabies. Um, fox. Fox skunk. with this strain, yeah. So how do we manage this situation humanely and safely without putting too much strain on the animals? Okay, so the word for today is called common sense. <laughs> All right. And and if we had a pill, and we talk about this all the time, there really should be a drug for common sense. Mm -hmm. Somebody is really going to jump on that, and it'll take off. Costco will be selling tons of it, I hope. Um, If you have a pet, and I don't care how holistic you are and how holistically you've been, I think that's a beautiful thing, but... There's there are things called vaccinations, and let's let's face it that a lot of these diseases come from not only domestic animals not being vaccinated that interact with wildlife. Okay, so if you've got dogs that haven't had rabies shots ever because they live on a farm, and I just don't do that, and they come in contact with a raccoon and they infect that animal, this is how we spread disease, right? It's kind of like us humans this time of year with all the influenza. You know, mm-hmm. if I wasn't a conspiracy theorist, I would think that everybody's got this bloody flu that's going around. Are those really chemtrails in the sky? I don't know. You know, um, but the thing is, you know, we, we spread it between ourselves, and the, the same is, is with animals. You know, your domestic animals can, can spread it to wildlife populations and vice versa. So the bottom line is vaccinate your pets, especially when you're out there and, and up at the cottages and you're letting them run around and all the rest of it. Uh, vaccine for leptospirosis, you know, let's talk about that. You know, even raccoon latrines and, and such are everywhere. Um, protect them. You know, we've had quite a few cases here in Hamilton of leptospirosis as well. And really? this is, uh, so, oh, big time. And uh, that affects, you know, the livers and, and the kidneys and, and that will shut them down. You know, it's pretty deadly. So, and uh, every warm-blooded mammal can, can carry leptospirosis in the urine and people just don't think about these things. I mean, if you really, you know, um, 
educate yourself on the different um, parasites and the different diseases that are out there. You wouldn't leave your house, you know. But because rabies is absolutely deadly and deadly to humans, of course, this is something that we do have to worry about. So keep your children away from wildlife. Also, um, contain your garbage, you know, and, and that way, and food sources, including, you know, your bird feeders. Clean up afterwards. Sweep up all that stuff at the end of the day. Uh, people are complaining about rat populations, and now they're saying that Hamilton's becoming like the fourth highest city what, with, for the rat population. <laughs> well, here's the thing, too. You know, when you start culling coyotes and you start, you know, culling foxes and such, these are your normal um, vermin eaters. These are They were put on the face of the earth to eat mice, and they were put on the face of the earth to eat rats. And, and people are putting out poisons and, and all the rest of it. Take up all the food. You're not, you're not, that way you're not attracting um, the raccoons at your back door, you know, that are going to be um, eating the rest of the, the lovely, you know, sunflower seeds that they love and the pumpkin seeds and such. Um, also, what happens is when you do have that food out there, and people don't think about this, is that the squirrel, you're tracking squirrels as well, right? You have all these squirrel, you know, squirrel-proof bird feeders and such. But what happens is there's bigger animals that love those squirrels because they're good eating, and that would be your coyotes. And, and you know, they can jump six-foot fences. And so you know they're in your area. You know they're living behind your neighbor's bush because they do live amongst us. And people are always in shock when they see one running down the street at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, they live um, under your deck. They live under your front porch. They're amongst us. So use common sense. You know, keep your dogs on leashes. You know, protect your animals. Protect that family pet. Okay? Have the decency, if it's out of control, to go to training. And make sure you've got that dog under control. Make sure that you're not letting your cats wander unnecessarily. Okay? Um, My cat's inside. I don't let him outside at all. I love my cat. I want to keep him safe. I don't want him getting hit by a car. Never, you know, never mind getting into a battle with a, a raccoon or anything else. I can't afford the vet bills, you know, mm. even though I work at a vet hospital. Um, but uh, again, it all comes down to common sense. It is interesting to talk about this and hear how quickly it evolves out into the rest of the ecosystem. And that's what I find very true, almost regardless of the species I'm talking about on the show, regardless of who I'm speaking with, you know, whether it's Yourself as a wildlife rehabilitator, uh, Dr. Adrian Trevis, who is a you know a wolf researcher and large carnivore researcher in the Midwestern U.S., uh, you know Dr. Simon Gabois out east uh, in Nova Scotia. Um, you know you you can't talk about one animal without talking about all the rest of the animals, yeah, and sure. I I think that when we talk about feeding in particular, that is often what is forgotten, but also we forget that, you know, and I know it's maybe not as true in a rural area as it is in the, the city where I live or a more suburban area. But if I feed raccoons in my backyard, where I feed the squirrels in my backyard, I'm changing the landscape of that whole ecosystem for everybody. So mm-hmm. when we're talking about, you know, uh, raccoon latrines, well, they're eating in my yard mm-hmm. and they're going into my neighbor's yard and pooping where their dog mm-hmm. has access to it or... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever, and it's. I think that's just. It's an important thing to always be bringing up. Mm-hmm. Um, is how it, it all interacts. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Beatoscaris. You know, which is that kills. You know, and that's. You know, the roundworm that raccoons carry. It doesn't mm-hmm. affect them, but it affects the secondary host. And those secondary hosts are us. The cottontails. You'll see a cottontail walking sideways or turning around in circles. We see it a lot in adult groundhogs because they dig in the dirt and their dens are in the dirt. Um, it migrates to the brain, and there's no way back from that. You know, it's deadly. 
So like that little boy in Hamilton who, um, I don't even know how many sandboxes are, are out there anymore. Do they even allow sandboxes? Because that's yeah. a big little pan. Yeah. It is. And that's how that little boy got, you know, the raccoon around him, right? Because he was, you know, playing in his sandbox and there was, you know, uh, raccoon poop in there. Um, so the eggs live in the environment for up to nine years now. You know, those eggs, those Bailascaris eggs, that raccoon, um, you know, they in their, in their feces. So when you're, when you're taking that out of your attic, when you're taking it out of your garage, when you find it, you gotta make sure you're, you're protected, that you're wearing a mask and that you're wearing gloves because it can be airborne when it's dry, right? So it's, it's deadly stuff. So you, you wanna deter these animals from your yard. I know they're cute and they're fat and they're furry and, and they're hysterical to watch, but watch them and appreciate them from afar because that's the way nature intended it, you know. Um, having them up close and personal and, and feeding right next to your, let's talk about this, you know, which is going to upset quite a few, you know, uh, trap neuter people, but let's talk about feral cats, you know, and people feed the feral cats. And yeah, we love our cats too. But when you've got a raccoon that's, now we've got rabies in the area, we've had two, you know, rabid cats, right? So we had one in Ancaster and we had one in Mount Hope so far. And so the only thing you can think of is that they were probably drinking out of the same water bowl that some really nice person put out and, and put kibble out and they were eating at the same, you know, uh, trough kind of thing. And maybe they did get into a battle because I think cats are pretty territorial. Um, you know, uh, these are the things that, you know, you have to think about. You have to have common sense, you know, about it. So. I feel a theme emerging in this episode now. Uh, mm -hmm. Common sense. Yes. Uh, <laughs> big C. We got to have a t-shirt made, man. You oh, know? we'll do it's, that. You know, billboards, billboards. Yeah, you know, well, spring's you... coming, man. You know, um, we're the hot spot for rabies. You know, and yeah, the city of Hamilton's done a great job um, putting the scocks and um, all those different billboards, you know, and yep. language and all the rest of it. And, um, it's all public awareness, you know, but again, you got to get down to the, the nitty gritty and you really have to tell people, you know, it's, it's serious business, man. You know, M and R with their aerial bait program, I think is outstanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what they've also done uh, lately, you got to remember that this strain of rabies was imprinted. It came up through Lake Placid, mm -hmm. they figure. So, and it's, it's a pretty virulent strain of rabies. It is. They're concerned about whether or not the baiting is working. So what they've done is they've actually put tetracycline in a lot of the baits so that when they do get, you know, um, a deceased raccoon or they do have a raccoon that comes in for testing, they'll pull a tooth and then they'll see if they, they look under a special light to see if they can see if the tetracycline has had uptake, meaning that the rabies vaccine has had uptake. So you figure oral vaccine, 70% of it is absorbed into the back of the throat. That's why from a wildlife rehabilitation point of view, um, a lot of us are like, why can't we get oral baits to throw into the coons before we release them? And yeah, that would be a great idea, but you're going to have 100% efficacy if you can get a needle into them and vaccinate them, right? So you got 100%, not 70%. Um, so... Yeah, they're doing a great job, but, you know, they're also doing this. They're also trapping. You'll see a lot of uh, M&R people around putting traps down mm -hmm. and actually trapping raccoons, and what they're doing is they're vaccinating them, and then they're tagging them. So you yep. might see some raccoons in the Hamilton area that have your tags. So, um, and if you do see any of those, it's great if you could report them. If you can call to the M&R and say, hey, I've got a raccoon in my backyard that's got a your tag. Um, this is their way of sort of keeping track of their documentation. Right, because then they'll 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 set a trap out and they'll try and trap him again and and uh, you know check his titers and see if he's had uptake as well. That's how we test to see how the vaccines are doing. Right. It is impressive how robust it can be, um, and how important it is too. 
the vi- the virus you mean or no the uh this the monitoring and the treatments and I, know, I, I feel pretty good for that yeah for sure from my perspective having a bit of knowledge of a bit of all of these things and again you know it's a very limited amount of a very broad base but talking with MNR and hearing all the things they're doing talking with you and hearing all the things you're doing talking mm-hmm. with animal control uh mm-hmm. and our you know our mutual friends there and all the things they're doing mm-hmm. um like just it it is an impressive amount of resources even though you know i'm going to say it's not enough most of the time mm-hmm. the amount of effort that is put into this it, often by volunteers such as yourself mm-hmm. uh is impressive mm-hmm. to help raccoons and other wildlife Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what wildlife rehabilitators do. You know, we all do it out of our own pocket, and yep. there's no government funding, obviously, for what we do. Uh, and we are on the front line. So, you know, we try and educate ourselves as much as possible about the different things that we're dealing with. And from somebody who runs a wildlife center and having volunteers, you know, I worry about my volunteers as well. Mm-hmm. So you, that's why, you know, we, we require you to have, you know, your pre-exposure rabies shots because I want my volunteers protected. And, yeah, if you get bitten or scratched by anything, you really should get boosters just to be sure um, that you're protected, you know, because this, this strain of rabies is so virulent, this raccoon strain. Like we've got so far, I think, as of February 7th, we've got 390 cases of raccoon strain maybe so far in our whole area and that's not just in Hamilton that's a couple out in Niagara and that's a couple in Haldeman as well right and that's over a, a time period of a few years sure yeah absolutely yes, just, so, <laughs> not since January no no exactly I think I forget what the numbers are for one year I'm going to say 140 maybe for this year for 2017 what year one I remember being very it was a very alarming number very quickly yes yeah, for sure. I mean, hey, you know what? Everything happens for a reason, I guess. Because, eh? like, uh, if if that rac- or that animal control officer didn't have those two dogs that were at large, you know what I mean? Yeah. And pick them up and have that raccoon that just happened to be in the back of the truck. Who knows what would have happened? None of us would have known that we were dealing with such a virulent strain of rabies, very and that true. there was so much of it out there. So everything happens for a reason, man. And uh, we should do a retrospective on that. That's such an interesting way of all of this coming together. Isn't it though? Uh, but we'll, well, we'll spend bizarre. an hour talking about just that case. Yeah, like how bizarre, how yeah. bizarre, you know. And that was a what? That was December 2015, right? Jeez, oh, wow, three yeah. years ago almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when it happened, it was like now all of us rehabilitators looking at, at us, at each other, going, oh, "Wow, this is you know quite the game changer." I mean, hey, we know that we deal with rabies on a daily basis, but now we really have to be on our toes, mm-hmm. you know. And so many of the skunks that come in. Um, you know, are, are rabid as well. And, and also, of course, we deal with the stemper on a daily basis too. And yes, people, get the stemper every year, please. Please get the stemper. That's another disease that's out there. That's another disease. That's God's way of, of sort of thinning the herd as well when it comes to raccoons. You'll see so much distemper. I yeah. think Oakville had, Oakville Humane Society, I think one year, one of the guys told me they had like 800 cases in one year. Distemper is a terrifying disease to watch work too. I it saw is. it at a rehabber once, and it's very. There's no upsetting. way back, man. There's no way back, you know. And and it'll, you know, when you bring one one animal into that rehab, and if your volunteers aren't aren't up uh, on making sure that they don't touch, you know, I mean, you have to. You have to change out between each each cage, and I mean, it's like a shelter situation, right? It can take over. It can just yep. wipe everybody out, right? Like, look at, I think there was a show on Hope for Wildlife down in Nova Scotia, and that was Pam Luke, I think, that all of her raccoons died of, you know. Um, so these diseases are out there, and you do have to vaccinate. Pam Luke is something that cats carry. So that's why you want to get your FERCP. You know, I don't care, you know, if you're reading about, well, you know, I'm afraid of over-vaccinating my animal. 
from a wildlife rehabilitator point of view and me working in an animal hospital, that's what our clients get. It's like, no, 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 get in there and get that vaccine. Mm -hmm. Just keep your animals safe. How much do you love that animal? Seriously. Right? How many animals do you know that have died from, from having, you know, distemper every year? Uh, none. <laughs> yeah. Get it vaccinated. I don't care what you're eating. And that goes for veterinarians, too. You know, like, you need boosters. You need rabies boosters up to at least three years for a puppy, okay? So when, when the puppy first gets in, you get a rabies, your rabies. And then the year after that, you get another rabies. And then the year after that, you get another rabies, okay? You need those boosters to make sure, just like in humans, that you're developing an immunity to that disease. And that's why you get those boosters. And that's why those boosters are so important. Then after that, you can discuss getting it every two years, a rabies vaccine, okay? But you really have to be diligent, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm hearing about these, these veterinarians that are giving puppies three-year rabies, you know, which makes absolutely no sense. Hmm. It's like, I'm sorry, but uh, when you come back here, you're getting rabies next year because you need those boosters every year just to get the, the you know, the immunity into that animal to protect them, okay? And then you can go from there, okay? But that's how it works. And I'm not a vet, but hey, you know, I, I work on the front line and I see the disease. I see how much of it is out there and how it's not going away. I think to wrap up the best question to ask is the one that I know you will deal with a lot. And I get people asking me, which I always just refer them out to someone like you mm -hmm. is when should I intervene? Uh, we are now at a time of year, I think where we're going to, uh, as you noted, very soon start seeing babies uh, of various species like raccoons and squirrels. Um, and we are going to be seeing injuries we are going to be seeing animals who are uh, likely hit by cars as they, they chase each other around. What are the sort of general criterion for when to contact, you know, yourself or another wildlife rehabilitator? When should someone contact animal control and when should they just wait and watch? When it comes to raccoons or when it comes to any wild animal? Let's say raccoons, but I know some of these rules will apply universally. Yeah, so... Well, obviously, we know that anything injured uh, or orphaned, um, you definitely want to call a wildlife rehabilitator because we can guide you on on the extent of those injuries and if an animal control officer needs to be called to euthanize that animal right away, right? Because we work with these animals and we kind of know what's fixable and what's not, right? And and also, you want a professional um, there to guide you on how to pick that animal up so you don't get hurt. Okay, it's always about public safety. So with us, we're, we're lucky in that we do have uh, Hamilton Animal Services that uh, um, they're, they're pretty good when it comes to wildlife rehabilitation. So, you know, they will go out and pick something up. But if it's a situation where the person's out of range, uh, we can guide them on how to, to do that and not get hurt and how to contain the animal until we can get help to help that animal. When it comes to babies and baby seasons coming, please make sure that if you're going to hire a wildlife removal company, that they do have heated boxes, that they will keep those little babies uh, on the roof uh, and give mom a chance to, to relocate her babies once they put that one-way door in. Uh, quite a few wildlife removal companies, let's face it, Brad Gates tried to regulate them a long, long time ago and that never happened. But a lot of them have our, our pest control companies that have added wildlife to, to their roster just to make extra money and don't know squat, you know, about wildlife. Uh, I'm not saying all of them are like that, but I'm saying there are some out there that really don't have a clue what they're doing. So in which case, if you have any questions about um, hiring a wildlife removal company to get that, 
mother raccoon babies out of your roof or squirrel or, or whatever, it, please call. Please call us, you know, um, rehabilitators, so we can, you know, guide you on people that we know that know what they're doing, okay, and that work with us hand in hand. And, uh, you know, we'll bring us babies when the mother doesn't come back for them. You also have to remember that, I don't know about you guys, but you can watch any raccoon documentary out there, and you can see how crazy those babies are, mm. okay? And you have to have respect for Mama Raccoon. You got it. I don't know how she does it. I seriously don't. It's a lot of work, and once you extract those babies, um, she has to find another den for them. And let's face it, every single animal evidently has up to 20 different dens that they know of. Uh, that they keep in the back of their head for emergencies, okay? But you don't know how far away those dens are. And if she's got six kits that she has to transport, give her time to do it. And help her out if you can, keep them heated, but stay away from the whole situation. Because you have to remember that being a human being, you're a number one predator, okay? So she's not going to come back to her babies if you're hanging on to them, or if your little kid's standing there watching, or the dog, okay? So again, have common sense. Think like a raccoon. Think like a mama squirrel and, and give her the time to come and, and transport those babies. Now, when it gets past 24 hours and that one baby's still in the box and it's getting kind of cold, then that's when you got to intervene. When you find uh, a baby on at the base of a tree and it's covered in maggots, for instance, or, or fly strikes, or, or it's got bloody nose, or it's, it looks like it's injured in that respect, that's when you intervene. You also have to remember that raccoons and squirrels put the babies at bases of trees when they're trying to get them up into dens. So when mothers have their babies, they raise these babies on their own and they try to get them as safe as possible into a den that's high up away from male raccoons because male raccoons can actually predate on the babies too, right? So you have to respect the fact that keep an eye on the situation from afar, and I mean from afar, and, and let these animals do what they have to do to get their, their, their babies into a safer situation once they've been removed or, or otherwise, right? Speaking of babies, something that comes up every year that I see, and I know you'll deal with this as well, is people who see an injured animal and bring it into their home to nurse it back to health and release it. Right. And for the purpose of this discussion, I don't think the species actually matters so much, but we are talking about vector species today, which are animals who can carry and transmit uh, very serious uh, illnesses and diseases. Mm-hmm. What Don't touch them. Ad- oh. <laughs> you didn't let me ask the question yet. <laughs> yeah, call us first. Please, dear God, you know, do not take it upon yourself. And I don't care if you were raised on a farm and, and you've raised millions of raccoons before. With what we're dealing with um, and the diseases, um, I cringe when I hear people that, that tell me about raccoons that have been raised uh, in their homes and, and they're, they're using their cat's litter boxes. Oh, he used my cat's litter box and he ate from his dish and, and then we just let him go. And I'm like, oh, that's great. So how's your cat? Is he walking sideways? Is he still alive? I, I don't know. You know? Um, anyway, sorry, what was your question? Shit, <laughs> shit. People try and take it upon themselves to help. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, and please don't feed it. Please don't find the urge to feed it. It's typical for a human being to want to feed something when they find it. You don't know what the situation is with, with that uh, individual that you have in your hands. Um, you don't know if their nose is plugged from, from dirt. You don't know if, in which case, they would aspirate. You don't know what to look for. If it's cold, um, none of its organs are going to be working properly. So it's going to aspirate. You're going to kill it anyway. So call a professional, always. 
and and you know we'll arrange for pickup to get it into a wildlife rehabilitation facility. This is the bottom line. That's why we do what we do. There's not many of us, um, but we try the best we can to accommodate any situation that we possibly can. You know, and obviously when our numbers get, we have a certain amount of numbers where we can't take him anymore. You know, it happens. But we will definitely guide you to the best way possible. Um, because that's why we do this. You know, we love what we do. We love the animals that we care for and the birds that we care for and such. Um, and we will guide you to the best of our ability to help you uh, get through that situation. To get in touch with Urban Wildlife Care or inquire about supporting and volunteering, visit urbanwildlifecare.ca. That's it for this week, folks. Thanks again for listening. And please do let me know what you think of the double episode format I started this week and intend on carrying forward for the coming weeks. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Defender Radio, on Instagram at Howie Michael, or just by emailing michael at thefurbears.com. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. <laughs> <laughs>